when you connect the dots looking back, now you understand why you're on the path you're on now and why the crappy crap had to happen when it did to lead you here. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad that you've joined us to share episode number 44 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray, and thanks for joining us for some stories of some interesting people who are reinventing their lives in some very inspiring ways. One of those interesting people is Bernie Shung. Depressed and unfulfilled by her job as a sales executive, Bernie was asked a simple question that changed her world. So what do you want to do when you grow up? Bernie decided to start living on her own terms and became the shin-kicking life spark. I'm talking today to Bernie Shung, who goes by the label, the shin-kicking life spark. Bernie, welcome to A Congruent Life. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I, I told you before we hit record that that I listen to your podcast every night before I go to bed <laughs> because it lulls me to sleep. So I'm so excited to be featured. I love that. Thanks so much for connecting and enjoying the show. That uh, that warms my heart to hear that. <laughs> awesome. So let's start, Bernie, just maybe by introducing yourself to our audience. And in particular, tell us what this shin-kicking life spark is all about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll take you back to about uh, five, six years. I, I used to be in corporate sales, and I was selling for you know about a combined year of year total of 20, 12 years. And during that time, kind of towards the end of my sales career, I realized that I had done everything that that they they told me to. I had done everything that I thought was the right path to take for the fellow American. And after getting an MBA and having the great job and the nice shiny objects to match the title that I had and getting to travel on the plane every couple of weeks all across North America, doing important stuff, selling uh, products and closing deals. I realized that I was coming back to a life that felt so empty. And in that that time that I started to reflect on, you know, here I am in my penthouse apartment overlooking the beautiful uh, lakefront, uh, which was Lake Michigan at the time when I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I remember thinking to myself, you have everything that you wanted to have. You have all the nice things that tell you that you are successful on the outside, but Somehow you still feel so unfulfilled inside. I mean, what the heck is wrong with you, Bernie? Shouldn't you be re- relishing in this moment? And as I thought about that question a little bit more, I reflected on what was missing. Uh, what was missing at the time was uh, so many failed relationships. So I didn't have a relationship. But by that time, I was divorced for several years and I was married to my job. And that to me was not fulfilling because I was chasing love, really. Essentially, when you think about it, I was chasing validation from somebody else to tell me that I was good enough to be loved and that I was good enough to keep as a partner. And I didn't have 
the partner. I had a job that kept me busy working over 60 hours a week and I'd bring work home on my laptop and really nothing to show for it, but money barely in the bank because I live paycheck to paycheck, even with the nice salary and very little time for myself to do anything of meaning and purpose. And so it was about October of 2008, I, or, I'm sorry, 2007, I started to see a therapist for the very first time in my life. I was about 30 years old at the time. I went to this therapist and I, I purposely went for relationship problems. I told her, I said, I'm I'm doomed. I don't think I'm ever going to, to find the right mate for me. What's wrong with me? Why am I so depressed? I'm anxious. I'm always worried. I'm depressed. I'm sad. Uh, you know, I'm constantly listening to sad music and life is great on the outside. Why do I feel so miserable on the inside? And instead of really tapping into the psyche to help me understand why I wasn't a good enough mate to attract a partner, she asked me one of the most profound questions I'll never forget that changed my life from that moment on. She said, what do you want to do when you grow up, Bernie? And and I remember thinking to her, like, God, these therapists are so annoying. I mean, what do you mean? What do I want to do when I grow up? I'm already doing stuff. I'm a salesperson, you know. Uh, and I and I and I decided to 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 humor her and I answered the question. And I said, you know, when I grow up, I would love to be like a motivational speaker. I want to I want to travel the world and inspire people and help them to know that they're good enough to go and make a difference and you know, just, just live happier, more fulfilled lives. And she said, well, you know, why aren't you doing that already? And, and I, and I scoffed at her. I was like, I'm only 30 years old. Who the hell is going to listen to a 30 year old inspiring you on your life? I'm sitting here in this therapist chair talking to you about needing a maid. I mean, what the heck, who do I think I am? And she said, well, what do you think would need to happen, Bernie, in order for you to make that happen? And I said, well, to be honest with you, uh, probably have to be 50 years old <laughs> before this kind of thing happens, because by then I'll have more experience and I'll look more credible to the people that I want to talk to. And I said, but right now I'm 30. It's just not it's not happening. And she paused like any therapist would. And, and I love her to death. Uh, I hated it at the time. It was a grueling process. But she said, again, one of the most profound things she she responded. Well, as long as you believe that you're right. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> so, so, Andy, you can imagine. I'm just like, oh, I hate you. But OK, you, that's so perfect. You're right. You were absolutely right about that. So long story short, she she basically told me that there were a lot of different ways that you can get towards the inspirational speaking type of career. It doesn't happen overnight that the 50 year old guy you see doing that started at some point in his life to get to that place where he could do that. So she nudged me in a few different directions. And that very afternoon. October 2007, I went online, I started Googling different things. She had mentioned something about life coaching and, you know, look up motivational speaking. And so I looked up all of the stuff, got a bunch of research done. And within six months, I was enrolled into a program to get uh, coaching uh, certification training. And then another six and seven months after that, 
I quit my corporate job and went into my coaching full time. So I, I that was uh, October 2008, and I've never looked back since. Has the journey been been easy? No, to be quite honest with you, it has been one of the most challenging and grueling journeys I've ever taken in my entire life, Andy. But it was so simple for me to choose this this path, if you will, this goal, this dream, because the the fear of regretting that I never took that step was far greater than the fear that I might fail at it. Wow, that's a <laughs> there's a lot in there, a lot of a really rich story, really inspiring. Thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's maybe maybe unpack some of the the pieces of that a little bit. It, it's really interesting how oftentimes it comes back to that simple little nudge, like mm-hmm. your therapist who asked you this very simple, almost trite question that yeah. ended up being so profound for you. What do you want to do when you grow up? Yeah. Did you have clarity on that at that point? Like did, when she asked you that, did you know the answer? That's a fantastic question, Andy. Nobody's ever asked me that. And to be quite honest with you, in hindsight, yes, I did have clarity from from a very and we can tap into this too if if the conversation goes there, but at a very 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 young age, I would say even before I could even grasp understanding purpose and passion and meaning in life, I I had this burning flame. I always called it this little flickering flame inside my gut. That was a way I could visually explain what it felt like. I've always had that in me ever since I was an adolescent, pretty, pretty young. And I remember telling people that I always felt like I was destined, if you want to call it that, to do some really big things in life. I just never knew what that was or how it was going to show up. But I did know that I wanted to be somebody someday and I wanted to do something big. And big to me was I want to die knowing that I made a difference and that I was remembered by being a good person, doing good things to help people feel better about themselves. And in hindsight, that that is absolutely what I've known innately from a very, very young age. At the time, she told me I didn't believe it. I did not believe I was good enough. I thought she was just making me feel good, like any therapist would to their patient. You know, I mean, I was depressed. I was I was a chain smoker at the time when I was talking to her on the couch. I was not exercising. I was overworked. I was passive aggressive. I was um, codependent in relationships. I was judgmental. I was unhappy. I was very critical of myself. And I partied a little bit more than I probably should have given somebody who wanted to go and make a difference in the world. Right. So at the time when she told me that, I was like, okay, she's probably, you know, blowing smoke up my, you know what, but okay, well, you know what, this is the nudge I need. And why not? Why not go and try this out and and see? Because maybe just maybe if I'm not you know, someday a Tony Robbins or an Oprah Winfrey, maybe I'll be a smaller version of someone like that in my corner of the world. It's also such a common story. You know, when we we tell stories and, and sort of relate experiences from people that have gone through similar paths, perhaps this notion of who do you think you are? Yeah. And that sense of, oh, I haven't done anything. I'm only 30. I don't know anything. Why would anybody listen to me? How did you grapple with that? I mean, she basically put that back in your face and said, yeah, as long as you believe that you're right. But what was it for you that let you turn the corner to stop believing that? Great question. I have always been defiant. 
I've always been a rebel and it, it hurt me at times. Uh, but again, in hindsight, I, I, it's good. It led me on the path I'm on now, but I, I definitely disagreed a lot when people told me to do something a certain way. I would always try to find a way to, to do it my way. I would always find a way to cut corners. I would always find a way to, to, to diso- disobey. I mean, it was just in my nature. So I think it, it was an innate thing to go, well, you know what? That's a challenge. She's challenging me. So yes, you know, let's do this. You know, I love a challenge. I'm, I'm kind of competitive that way too. And then I think the second part was, I think I did um, emotionally believe her that, that I am good enough. And, and the evidence for me was when I look back on my life, there have been a lot of traumatic and pretty paralyzing things that happened to me from a very young age. And to this day at 37 years old, I look back and think, how the heck did you get some of, you know, get through some of those times? That's, it's so paralyzing to some that some people have lost their lives over things like that. And you carry a smile every day wanting to continue to do good work in the world. You know, so I think I've always known that I've been pretty strong uh, mentally and emotionally. And so at the time, logically, I didn't believe that I was good enough. You know, I'm 30. Who the heck's going to want to listen to me? That was my logic talking, right? That part of, of, of me who who thinks too much. And then the emotional side of me who feels and loves and is so in tune with the world. I said, oh, shut up, Bernie. <laughs> shut up, Bernie. You know you're good enough. You know you're a good person. Go out there and do it. Prove yourself right. I also think it's pretty fascinating how oftentimes, you know, we go through life and we have some sort of crisis that wakes us up and, and causes us to maybe reevaluate and, and reinvent ourselves. And I think it's fascinating to see how many times that's often in a way that we didn't expect. Uh, for example, what you're talking about here is that you went to see a therapist because of relationship problems, mm-hmm. but that's not really what the, the true issue was or what you really took away from that experience. That is right. And the here the funniest thing about this, and this is the first time I'm talking about this publicly, what I'm about to tell you, but the, it was so amazing that a psychotherapist who's not even a life coach nudged me in the direction of considering life coaching and, you know, moving towards the inspirational speaking career when I mentioned that I want to be inspiring people. That was, like I said, October of 2007, when she and I had that conversation. Now, when I was still in sales and I was about to go through a divorce, I would say the time frame was about summer of 2002, I believe, that my sister bought me a book. And I didn't read a lot of books, to be honest with you, until I, I, I read a ton of books now, but I didn't at the time. So summer of 2002, she gives me this book. It's called Finding Your Own North Star by Martha Beck, who it was the most amazing book I've read to this day. I've referred it probably over 40, 50 times to people. And I bought over 10, 12 copies and gave it away to people because it changed my life. That was around the time that I made the decision to leave uh, an emotionally abusive relationship to to become single and live life on my terms as a respected woman, because I didn't feel like I was respected in the relationship. And so that book taught me that. But I didn't realize this, Andy, until just 
I think last month, that I got the book from my sister who knew nothing of Martha Beck. She just really liked the book. And Martha Beck's a life coach, by the way. <laughs> and she happens to speak as well. She's an amazing author and amazing figurehead, very, very world renowned. And I didn't know that at the time. So to to look back and realize that I've been introduced to the world of life coaching and I fell in love with a book that changed my life. Um, I can't do the math, but I think it was what, like five years before life coaching the career called me to go and do it. it I, it's hard to wrap your head around that, Andy. It's unfathomable. But that that is exactly what I'm talking about. And I think that's pretty similar to what you're talking about, how when you connect the dots looking back, now you understand why you're on the path you're on now and why the crappy crap had to happen when it did to lead you here. Yeah, I love that image of connecting the dots looking backwards. That's that's exactly where it is. It's it's like life slaps us aside the head in a sideways kind of way. Yeah. You know, it's like we we end up on these paths that we that we don't expect and it's, and it's like we have to get out of our way. It's like if we if we were just doing our thing, we would never get there, but life throws us a curveball so that we adjust our course just enough to discover something new. Right, right. And you know, and real quick, I you know, when I first started coaching five, six years ago, um, I, I was so in love with the concept of just being able to, because here's how I define life coaching. It's it's helping people bring up the better version of themselves. And how you do that is by t sharing the lessons that you learned in life and work and love. And I think that sometimes we overcomplicate you know, work like life coaching or work like motivational speaking or work like somebody else, some kind of entrepreneur who helps you to solve a problem that you have. I think we overcomplicate it because the reality is at the end of the day, this kind of work is about using your story, using your learned lessons and helping people to transform their situation so that you know, the the challenges, the struggles and the failures, if you want to call them that, so that they're, they weren't done in vain, right? So that you can make something of yourself and it's not a woe is me pity party, but it's a, I can do something about this and I can rise above it and I can change my circumstances and be constructive and productive with my time, the way I think and the way I show up in the world. And Sometimes I think people are afraid of of going there in this kind of work because they think it's too ethereal. They think it's too woo-woo and so hard to wrap their head around something that seems so abstract to them. And so for me, that you know, thank you again for the introduction, because in the introduction, yes, I do refer to myself as the shin kicking life spark because people have never heard that before. They go, what the heck is that? What does that mean? They can probably picture what it might look like, but they still don't understand. But it gives me the opportunity to explain what I do and how I help and why that matters to you instead of me sitting here saying I'm Bernie Shang, the life coach, and you roll your eyes and scoff at me because you think I'm you know, out of my mind or a Looney Tune, you know? So, so I love the fact that we can get so spiritual and really deep and really emotionally connected as we have a conversation like this today, Andy, that your, your podcast is amazing because we can really get down to the nitty gritty and talk about the truth behind the, the problem, the real thing that truly matters. Um, instead of, you know, 
being stuck at service surface level conversation and and talking about things that really don't have a lot of substance like how much money do you make what kind of car do you drive you know what's your job title you know where do you live how's your do you have a pet house apartment you know it's i'm just i'm just tired of uh that sleepwalking that I did for so many years. And now it's such a, it's so humbling, Andy, to be able to do such amazing work to help people wake up. I love the way you present that. There's so much, so much great stuff in there. And in particular, I, I really want to highlight what you said about we are the sum of our experiences. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy to get stuck in this place of, oh, well, that was a waste or this was such a bad experience. I just want to forget it. But really we are, the sum of everything that's come before us. And it's really the challenge to kind of dig into it and say, okay, so what does that have to teach me? How can I use that to serve other people? Right, right. And the really cool thing about that point you make is that everybody has the ability to change the circumstances. I mean, I'm no different than any other person out there who's gone through a lot of the similar situations as me. Uh, Child molestation, um, getting married young, having a kid before the age of 18, um, being divorced at 26, having a corporate job and chasing somebody else's dream for 12 years, jumping out of corporate to become, you know, the owner of your own life. You know, whatever the circumstances you're in, it's not a well, Bernie special. So only Bernie can get out of that. Only Bernie can rise above that. She's the shin kicking life spark. It's it's no, it's you have the ability to change your circumstances And here it's so simple, Andy. It's such a simple tool. And I'll get very tactical here. The only thing that really sets me apart from somebody else who's still stuck in their pain is that they're not doing something about it to get out of the pain. So let's say we use the divorce, for example, being divorced at 26 years old. I could have stayed stuck in that he he hurt me. He was the bully. I was the victim. He was bad. I was good. why why do unfair unfair things always happen to me why can't i just catch a break you know shifting those those thoughts of i suck and i'm the victim and woe is me pity me and and turning it into well you know what maybe he hurt me because he was hurt right maybe he bullied me because he'd been bullied maybe he hated himself so much that he couldn't allow himself to be loved And if that's what's happening, oh, my gosh, that poor guy, I kind of feel sorry for him because, you know what, I am lovable. And sure, we're different. Sure, we don't get along. Sure, we don't see eye to eye. But that doesn't make him or me right or wrong. It doesn't make either of us good or bad. We're just different. Thank you for releasing me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to understand what I don't want. Now I'm going to rise above that and do something different than what I knew in this relationship. So, so it's as simple as breaking it down like that, Andy, that's how quickly somebody can get out of the, my life sucks. I hate my circumstances. I'm going to slip my wrist to, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and do something different. And I love myself and I'm good enough. And I'm going to find people who agree. That's great wisdom. Thanks so much for sharing that. It it seems like oftentimes the, the biggest barrier or one of the biggest barriers is, is fear. You know, feeling mm-hmm. feeling stuck and not being able to find the courage to to actually make a change. Where did that spark of courage come from for you to make these kinds of changes, to leave the relationship, to leave your career and do something completely different? 
I love this question. This gives me goosebumps to think about the answer because um, I, I recently told in another interview that the, the the ability to brave through my fear, as I call it, uh, started before I was even born. And I'll try to I'll try to keep this succinct because it is a long story. Um, my family, we're we're. Our ethnicity is Hmong, by the way. For anybody who wants to research that, that's spelled H-M-O-N-G. And the Hmong did not have a country of origin that we know of because we don't have a written record of our history. So everything was passed down through oral tradition. And so we're I kind of laugh and, and tease us saying that we're the Asian gypsies. We've always migrated from country to country, not really having a home base. So we when my family moved out of their country of Laos, uh, they ended up in a refugee camp in Thailand. And from Thailand, they were then flown over to America and immediately sponsored by a family from a Catholic church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And the the church was called St. Bernard's. I was the only one in my family who was not born in the home country. I was actually born here in America. And so the church kind of, it was funny. It's like those movies. I was like the chosen one. I'm not even kidding you. The, the whole entire congregation got together and blessed this child who was born and sponsored by the church. And because of that, they named me after the church. So they called me Bernadette, which in French means brave as a bear. Andy? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so I go through my whole life being called Bernadette, which by the way, I hated the name. I was like, I'm this tiny little, you know, I was always the smallest kid in class. I was this tiny little button of an Asian girl in a very white community. And my name was Bernadette. I felt like an old lady. People called me Bernice at times. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is not cool. This is like totally cramping my style. Right. But um, so I started going with the name Bernie, you know, Bernie to just kind of be cool. And even that was kind of an ugly name because I'm like, now I'm a, a an ugly trucker guy. You know, it's like, why can't I just have a really cool name? But anyway, so throughout my adolescence and teenage life and, um, you know, through my early 20s, I I went with it. I'm like, whatever. It's my name. It's unique. There's no other Asian that I know of out there with this name. Uh, so I'm going to own it. That's pretty cool. Around the time that the internet came out, like I said, I think I was in my early 20s at the time, um, I went online because, you know, when the internet came out, everybody was Googling everything before Google was even around. And and I'm like, I'm going to go look up the origin of my name. So I look up Bernadette. And in French, like I said, it means brave as a bear. And I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. I've never been brave in my life. How the heck am I going to live up to this name now? So I decided to do something else. I'm like, I'm going to see what my last name means. I wonder if there's even a definition for it. So I look up my last name, which is Shang, and I'm not of Chinese descent, but, you know, in oral tradition, we may have descended from central China. So I thought, OK, I'm going to look up and see if there's like a Chinese origin for my last name. And there was. The name was Bear. <laughs> wow. I'm not even kidding. I mean, I, I wish I was making this up. So brave as a bear, bear. And so I'll never forget that. It was early 20s. And now, like I said, I'm 37. I'm like, I've got to do something with this. I mean, this name came to me. I was chosen for this. And so I think innately, I've always kind of felt like I needed to embrace the brave side of me, even though 
you know, I would say 99.9% of the time, Andy, I've been afraid of everything in the world. I've been afraid of myself. I've been afraid of success. I've been afraid of, of failure. I've been afraid of relationships. I've been afraid of being alone. I've been afraid of everything in this world for so long that it became my identity that this girl has a name that's so oxymoronic to, to how she really feels about herself in the world. So now, as you can tell, you know, I'm really good at deconstructing my life. And I realize now in hindsight, everything that led me to today, all of the fear that I had, all of the anxiety, all of the worry, you know, the, the, the um, innate need to, to freak out about everything, uh, the depression, um, that all was supposed to be there, I believe. And instead of seeing all of these things as a deficiency and holding me back from who I wanted to be, I think when I finally embrace the fact that these all make me who I am and why I'm special, then I started to realize that I needed to lean into these perceived deficiencies and own them and, and define myself by being a triumphant person who's been able to brave through all of these things in spite of how fearful it has been. And so that's the long-winded answer to your question of how I feel about fear. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> I love the name piece too. You couldn't yeah. make that up. That's Oh, I know. I know. It's crazy. So the whole point of this show, A Congruent Life, is, is really about authenticity. Uh, so given all of this stuff that you've deconstructed about your life and all these stories that you've tell, told us, what do you think it means to live authentically or congruently? I love it. I wrote a blog post. I actually wrote two blog posts, but the one that's coming to mind is a blog post I wrote on addictedtosuccess.com, and I called it "Real: uh, Why Real is the New Black. And the reason I thought of that topic was because for the longest time, I feel like I've been an imposter in my life and in my work. And what I mean by that is, you know, going back to my my heritage and my culture, we we never knew what country we were from. So I think innately we always felt like we had to be something else or somebody else because everybody, for the most part, has a country that they can say, well, this is where my home is. This is the language that I speak. This is here's the pin on the map. I can actually point it out to you. And we couldn't. So I felt like an imposter from a very, very young age. And so what that meant was I needed to emulate after everybody who I admired and and wanted to follow in their footsteps. And I used to define success as a visual a visual picture. I'm going to paint it for you right now. He he looks six feet tall. He has salt and pepper hair. He's wearing a navy blue suit with pinstripes, a shiny red tie, shiny leather, brown leather shoes and uh, a leather briefcase in his hand. That was success to me. And so for all of my, you know, adult life, really, I was chasing the dream of what that guy would be doing. Who would be he'd be hanging out with? What kind of stuff is he interested in? Um, what are his hobbies? Uh, what does he talk like? Where does, where does he travel to? 
kind of presentations is he giving? What what are his word choices that he uses in his presentations, right? So so I had been chasing that dream that was somebody else's dream. It didn't belong to me, but I thought it did because that's what success looked like to me. And so to go from living this life of being an imposter to finally realizing that I was so miserable and unhappy and a shell of a person that was so unfulfilled with life, even when she finally achieved that life of what you would deem to be successful, I realized that's when I had to start being honest with myself and true to myself and real with who I really am and what really matters to me in life. And that honestly really goes back to, I would say, 2007-ish when I sat in that therapist's chair and she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And uh, I realized that I'm, I can't be that guy who I envisioned to be success. I have to be me. I'm 4'11", Asian. I've got a full hawk right now. And I've, I don't look like that guy. I will never look like that guy, nor should I. I don't sound like that guy. I don't have the same life experiences as that guy. So if I'm standing on that stage and addressing crowds, being an inspirational speaker, or if I'm on the phone doing one-on-one coaching with my clients, they don't want to talk to that guy. They've chosen me because they want to talk to the shin-kicking life spark. So the only way to be, the only way to live, Andy, is to be me. And there is only one me. And that's when I realized that authenticity is not about going out there and being goody two shoes and and doing good work that you think they want you to do. Authenticity and living in a congruent life is about you being honest with who you are and loving yourself deficiencies and and and, you know, bad experiences and everything else that make you who you are that led you on the path that you're on today. That's what it means to me. You shared that great question about what do you want to be when you grow up? And we talked earlier in the conversation about how you wanted to be of service to the world and leave something that people remember. What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I'm going to steal something that uh, my friend Greg Hartle said, Greg Hartle of $10 and a Laptop and the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. He, uh, we interviewed him for, for my weekly web show, and, he, and I asked him a very similar question. And he said that, I just want to know that when I die, that I left a contribution in the world, um, a contribution that lasts long after I'm gone. And I would say that he said that so eloquently because I honestly believe ever since I was a very young girl, uh, um, uh, you know, in, in my youth, that that was something I always wanted to do. And I don't really care how it shows up. I just I just want it to be something that it creates ripples and that through my courage and my bravery, that it inspired somebody else to follow my lead and make a dent in their corner of the world the way I have, and it doesn't have to look the way I did it. You know, for example, last year alone, 2013, I was a part of five different movements, and that's not even, you know, adding to the other ones that that I I can't remember, but five massive things that happened in the world last year that I was a part of. Uh, One of them had to do with um, depression and 
uh, hope for suicide prevention. And the other one was building a windmill in Africa. Another one was building the world's first philanthropic coffee roaster in my parents' home country of Laos. Another one was creating a blog series to help people who were dealing with parental alienation like I was in all of 2013. And the final one was uh, The Shut Up Show, which is the weekly web show that I host with uh, my co-host, Phil Gerbershack. And we get to talk to entrepreneurs every week about how, even no matter how successful they are to this day, how the heck do they brave through all the fear that can cause them to want to give up at times? And how can, you know, our community at The Shut Up Show help each other to to get through that what kind of support can we give each other to make it just through that day that week that all happened in 2013 andy wow that's quite a year yeah and and we, we 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 touched on this briefly before you hit record but i never would have fathomed that because of those things that happened in 2013 i had the inspiration. I, I call it a stroke of genius because for 14 hours on January 14, 2014, it was a single Saturday. I woke up and I was like, eh, I'm going to write a book today. <laughs> that's, that's what my, that's what my brain said. I, I'm going to write a book today. So I, I wrote the entire first draft of my book. I think it's at it was at the time 65,000 words and I think like 187 pages or something like that in 14 hours on a single Saturday, January 14th. And it was the book I've been meaning to write since 2011 that I never felt I was good enough to author until now. And because I think your follow up question might be like, why didn't you think you were good enough? And honestly, it was because I didn't feel like I had made as, as much impact in the world yet in 2011. I was still talking about the things I wanted to do and the book that I was going to write that was in secrecy. Nobody could know what it was going to be about. And when it when I did start to write that first draft two years ago, it was crap to be honest with you because it was a lot of fluff. There wasn't a lot of substance. There wasn't a lot of a lot of action oriented results that I could share. And the book that came so easily to me on January fourteenth came to me because I thought, let's take inventory of what I just did this last year, two thousand and thirteen, the year that I was depressed and the year that I was a recluse because. My ex-husband alienated me from my adult son, who I love dearly and never had any issues with up until that point. And the darkest time in my life was the year that I made the most impact in my entire life. And honestly, those things that I did in 2013 saved my life. And that's what I write about in that book. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) that's all i have to say about that (laughs) well there's a lot there boy it's amazing too i i love the the contrast too where you said you struggled writing this book and then all of a sudden it was the right time and it came easily and it flowed and i can't wait to read it it sounds fantastic i would i would love to give you an advanced copy and hey maybe we can even do a quick contest with your with your uh community sure that'd be fantastic i'd love to do that Awesome. And I love that you mentioned the Shut Up Show. That was the next thing I wanted to mention, too. It's a fantastic show. I love the perspective that you guys bring to that. I, I think that listeners of A Congruent Life, you know, anybody that likes these kinds of conversations, I think will resonate very strongly with your show. Thank you. I would agree with that because you said the word before fear. And uh, when Phil and I started the show, we weren't sure 
that fear was going to be the overarching theme. We just knew it was uh, a place where we could go for moral support. And when I say we, I'm saying specifically Phil and me could go to each other for moral support every week. And now we get, I think, about 10,000 views a month. And we have an amazing community of people who are all raising their hand and saying, me too, I'm just as scared. You know, I'm just as scared as you, yay. You know, and and now we all help each other to embrace the fear and and realize that we're not alone in it. So so thank you for bringing that up. I definitely believe that your community can really, um, you know, can really gain from that conversation. Well, how can our community engage with you, Bernie, besides the setup show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so if anybody is interested in listening to our podcast on iTunes, or uh, we have a video blog is what we call it at this time. That's really how it started. It's a Google Hangout, but it, the videos are available on demand. You can simply go to our blog, which is theshutupshow.com, and feel free to subscribe to the newsletter if you want to have the uh, episodes directly sent to you in your inbox. And uh, actually, the, the best way otherwise to get a hold of me and to engage with me is uh, through my newsletter. They can go to bernieshung.com. Um, on my homepage, there's a menu. You can go click on the subscribe button right from the menu, or you can go to bernieshong.com slash subscribe. My newsletter, Andy, is my favorite place to go. Uh, none of that, I would say 99.9% .9 of everything I write in my newsletter is never shared anywhere else publicly. And it's where I engage with my community for free. I call my community Shinkickville. And every Sunday, I deliver a Shinkick to them to help them work through whatever it is that they need help with. And I actually reply to every single email. And it's me. It's really me on the other side helping people out. Awesome. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? I'm going to mess up this quote, but there's always my favorite quote by Maya Angelou. She said, don't make money your goal. Instead, do the thing you love and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. Perfect. Well, Bernie Chung, this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm absolutely delighted to make this connection with you. And thanks for taking the time to share these stories with our community. Thank you, Andy. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you for lulling me to sleep every night. And it was a pleasure being here. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Bernie Chung. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 44 or acongruentlife.net slash Chung, which is spelled X-I-O-N-G. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, I'd really appreciate it if you take a quick moment to subscribe to our Acongruent Life community list. I'll keep you posted about when new episodes are available. You can sign up for free in the upper right-hand corner of the page at acongruentlife.net. Thanks so much for doing that. Once again, thanks for listening to Acongruent Life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.